Well, this morning we're continuing our series in our second of uh, three or four sermons talking about the will of God, which is a look at what God's will is and how we discern it in our lives. As we talked about last week, everyone, uh, no matter their belief in God or belief in whatever, everyone has a fascination with knowing the future, right? We want to know the future so that we can make the best decisions for our lives. We want to know what's coming. We want to get it right. Now, even Christians think about this, those who put their faith in God. But we don't usually refer to it as the future. We call it God's will. We want to be like in God's will. Sometimes you hear it uh, called the center of God's will. Like, God, what do you want me to do tomorrow? Like, what's coming my way? You know, am I in your will? Have I stepped out of your will? Like, you know, what's the best decision in terms of this or that? And sometimes... Or a lot of times we've all felt the frustration of going to God for his will, usually in decision-making, and, and we felt the frustration of not hearing any answers. Like, God, can you just get like a Twitter account, an email address, right? Send me a text, something. I'll take whatever, a bird singing, shocking to me from a tree, whatever. Let me know. Now, unfortunately, God's old school, so he doesn't carry an iPhone and he's not going to text us. So sometimes when it comes to the will of God, he can seem like this kind of like cosmic Easter bunny who hides his will here and there, almost like they're Easter eggs. And and we're sent running through our life to try and to find them. But this is not the case. The Apostle Paul tells us the will of God is something that we should and can understand. In Romans, he says, discern the will of God. Ephesians, he says, don't be foolish, but understand God's will for your lives. So even though it doesn't always feel like it, God does want us to know his will. So last week, we started looking by one of, the, one of three major aspects of God's will. And it's what theologians would call the decreative will of God. And the decreative will of God basically says that whatever God, decre- God decrees is going to happen, period. God said, there are certain things that are going to happen, they're going to take place, and nothing's going to prevent them. So when it comes to the decreative will of God, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you hop on board, whether it passes you by, or whether it runs you over, the will of God is going to happen. And the point of us understanding that, taking a whole sermon on it, was because when we realize that and we accept it, it brings peace into our lives knowing that we're not in control, knowing that there is one God, we are not him, and knowing that no matter how out of control everything seems, it's still under the control of the sovereign God. And it drives us to get to know the sovereign God. As one pastor wisely said, he says, as believers, we cannot always know why, but we can always know why we trust God. Who knows why? And that is what makes the difference in our lives. Amen, church? I hope you felt some of that peace this week through the out-of-control things that you have been going through. Hopefully it's reminded you this week that we are not in control, no matter how much we try to be. And it's drawn you closer to the Lord. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, because the first time I was ever studying the will of God, these are some of the things that I wondered. I said, okay, great, God's will is going to happen no matter what. Fantastic. But I still want to know my part. I want to know his will for my life. Like, 
I don't know how to figure that out. Like, I don't want it to pass me by. Like, I don't want to miss getting on board. I certainly don't want to get ran over by it. Just need to know the plan. Let me know, God. I'm in. And so we, we, we ask questions like, God, you know, like, you know, where do I go to college? You know, uh, you know, what should I major in? And who should I marry? And should I take this job or look for another job? Should I keep my house? Should I sell my house? Should I stay where I'm at? Should I move? What do I do? God, tell me what to do. Every one of us here have asked these questions, or we've asked questions like them. And as I was reflecting back on all the times I've asked God these things, I was like, okay, what are we really asking when we're asking these things? Are we really seeking his will, or are we just looking for good advice? Like, are we just looking for like, like, you know, like someone who contacts their investment broker to say, hey, where should I put my money? What stock is going to give me the best returns? Lord, show me the right things to do so things will go well with me. Are we really seeking his will when we're asking these questions or do we just want advice? It's like Christmas. You remember this? We always, some of us would be tempted to try to peek at our Christmas presents under the tree before Christmas came. Anybody ever do that? Were you? Okay, I think, oh, there's a few honest people here, right? Maria would tell me how she would literally unwrap her presents and then rewrap them. Like, I'm like, wow, you are, and if you know my wife, you wouldn't think she was such a sinner, but she is, right? Like, I, and I remember doing that, but I would always be only tear a corner, and once I knew it was like a G.I. Joe or something, I was satisfied. But in the same way, we want to peek at what's coming down the road. We want to see what we're not meant to see. One writer said this, he says, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life, hear this now, is our preoccupation with the secret will of God at the expense of neglecting the revealed will of God. The greatest tragedies of the Christian life is our preoccupation of the secret will of God at the expense of neglecting what he has revealed in his will. Now, we know that there are things that God has revealed, but there are things he has purposely kept secret. When Moses was speaking to the Israelites, he says this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so it got me thinking, like, why am I so eager to know what God has kept a secret, and I like so easily ignore what he has revealed. Why is that? Why is it so easy for God, show me your will for my life, show me your will for the church, and yet it's a struggle for me to read the Bible? I think there's probably many reasons, but I think one of the reasons is it is easier for us to think about what God wants us to do tomorrow than it is for us to think about what God wants us to do right now. I say this because tomorrow doesn't require anything of you. It doesn't require sacrifice, hard work. It doesn't require repentance that often comes with following God. But I would propose that we can't even understand God's will for tomorrow until we start walking in his will for us today. 
It'd be like going up to our teacher in, in math class and, and asking them, like, teacher, can you teach me, teach me algebra? Can you teach me algebra? And we still can't even figure out long division. How would a good teacher respond? Good teacher would say, first, learn your long division, and then we can move on to something new. I am confident that God's will for you and for me is not having control over tomorrow, but it's submitting to today. God's will is not for you or for me to know the future. His will is for us to know his ways. That is what we need to focus on if we want to be in the will of God. And so today I want to talk about another aspect of the will of God. It's what theologians would call the moral will of God. The moral will of God. And the moral will of God has to do with what God desires for humanity. Now notice I'm not using the word decrees like I did last week. I'm using the word desire. Because unlike the decree of will of God where God says, boom, this is going to happen no matter what, when it comes to the moral will of God, unfortunately, too often, we have a choice. And we often refer to this choice as free will. Free will. For example, when it comes to the world, we know that it is the will of God that mankind, all of mankind, finds salvation in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, He wants everyone to be saved. But we also know from several spots in the Bible that not everyone will choose to follow Christ. So in the moral will of God, this is what he desires for you, but ultimately we have choice. Now notice in this moral will of God, He's not focused on saying, here's what's going to happen. Okay? Which what we're normally focused on. The moral will of God is centered around his desire for you in the present moment. And not, not just for what his desire for what he wants you to do. It's actually more than that. It, it, because that's what we're focused on, but really it's secondary. The primary focus in the moral will of God is who he wants you to become. That's, that's number one. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy as I am holy. And the whole part of 1 first, first Peter here in chapter 1, it's on God's moral will for you to be holy and to be set apart and to be different from the rest of the world, to become more like God. We're so concerned with God, what God wants us to do, and he's concerned with who we become. I mean, how much time do you sit there in your prayer life, in your reflection, how much time do you spend thinking about who God wants you to become? And if you're becoming that person, how much time do you spend reflecting on that in your prayers? For me, it's not natural. When I go to God, Lord, I pray for this, I pray for that, I pray this doesn't happen, I pray this doesn't happen. How often do I sit there and say, God, am I becoming the person you want me to become? Let 
Now, here's the beautiful part about the moral will of God. When we start asking those questions, when we understand who he wants us to be, we're going to understand what he wants us to do. Okay, when you understand his ways, you're going to always be in his will. Why? Because understanding his ways means you, you start to understand what your goals should be in your life. Colossians chapter 1, Paul's giving a thanks, and he's praying for the Colossian church, and he says this in verses 9 and 10. And he says, And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think back. Try to think back to the last important personal decision you made for your life. Or maybe you're in the middle of trying to make a, a personal decision for your life now. In thinking about it, in reflecting, in praying, have you asked or did you ask the question, what would honor God? what would honor God? It is in our nature when making decisions to think about what is best for moi, what's best for me, which option do I like the most, which, which option prospers me the most, which option is going to make me the most comfortable, the easiest for me to get me what I want. But with the moral will of God, the question doesn't start with us. It starts with God. It starts with Him and what He desires. Now maybe you tell me, you're like, oh, I don't know what would please God in a particular situation. Good news. I have a book you should read. Now Scripture will not speak to every situation. I've said this many times, but it will speak how to approach every single situation that you are making. For example, let's, um, you know, you've got a new opportunity coming your way. And, and, and when taking this new opportunity, you can ask the question, okay, is it going to help me or hinder me in becoming who God wants me to become? We always look like, you know, especially if it's like a new job, we're like, okay, is there better benefits? Is there better money, right? It's going to get me better vacations. How often do we say, okay, is this job, all of that side, going to help me become more like God or not? You know, what is my goal in all of this? Is it more money? Is it more vacation days? Is it, uh, is it more prestige? What's my goal? Maybe you're a, a person with kids, and, and, and so you read Deuteronomy eleven nineteen that says, you shall teach them, seeking about the words of God, to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, you read a verse like that and you say, okay, that's, that's a goal in my life, an instruction for my children. Okay, well, I'm gonna take this job. There's more money. Uh, you know, there's more prestige, more responsibility, but I'm gonna be gone from my family so much more 
There's no way I can fulfill this with my children. God's Word helps you align your goals. Or maybe you're invited, you know, you're, you're invited out with your buddies and you're like, man, I'm, I'm going to go be a light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then you realize, you know, you're, you're going you, okay, well, hey, we're going to go to a bar. Maybe you're, you're recovering from alcoholic addiction, you know, and so you go to Proverbs 6.27 it says, can a man carry fire next to his clothes, next to his chest and his clothes not be burnt? In other words, you walk into temptation, you're going to get fried. You're like, man, this isn't a good decision for me. Scripture that reveals to you the moral will of God, that reveals to you what your goals should be. They also, it, the moral will of God also, it, it reveals what your attitude should be. We don't really spend a lot of time thinking about our attitude. We, we react about our attitudes, but we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. And how our attitudes affect our decision-making. I mean, when you, when you make decisions, do we ever stop to think about, okay, why am I doing what it is I'm doing? What's the attitude behind it? Is it an attitude that God would will for you? No, we usually just react out of emotion, don't we? Which is usually not always a great idea. But he says, what, what's the attitude behind it? You know, because God has goals for our attitudes. He has a will for our attitudes. Like he wills love and, and not lust. He wills humility and not pride, and diligence, and not laziness, generosity and, 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 and not compulsion. He, 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 he wills submission and, and not self-advancement, contentment and, and not greed or sacrifice and, and not apathy. I wonder in my life how many really bad decisions I would have saved myself from making if I would have just stopped and said, man, what is my attitude right now? And is this an attitude that God would will for me in my life? I was thinking about marriages this week. And, it was, and I think, this, I'm stereotyping here, sorry guys, but I've done a lot of marriage counseling that my stereotype... You know, might be more than a stereotype. Men can often, it's, it's, I think it's much easier for men as a whole to be selfish in marriages and to do things for our wives when we want to and not do them when we just don't want to. And we don't stop to examine our attitudes and our hearts. And yet we go to verses like Ephesians where it says, love your wife, like Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Love her, it goes on to say, as your own body. So in that moment, when you take a scripture like that, that's God's will for what your attitude should be towards your life. Or 1 Peter 3, 7 says to honor your wife. That's why the Word of God is so important because it gives us the filter of God's will in our lives. And I know that if my attitude changed, if I paid attention to it, I'll be walking in His will in my marriage. But you don't need to be married for this to apply in your jobs or with your friends. God's will is this just filter for your attitude, and we often just don't stop to pay attention to our attitudes or even our actions. 
How often do we pause to check our actions? Because you can have the right attitudes and you can still have the wrong actions. This is why, once again, I can't say it enough. The word of God is so important. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it costs you everything. Proverbs says that a fool, a fool avoids wisdom. A fool avoids listening to advice. Because God has a will for your actions. Once again, this isn't as exciting, is it? It's not as exciting as what's coming down tomorrow and and God revealing his will in a supernatural way. It's not fun to think about my attitude or my actions. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's convicting. We hear it a thousand times. But I tell you that if you want to be in God's will, this is it. This is how it gets done. The moral will of God. Applying What God has said in his goodness, applying what is best for your life because he's the one who created you so he knows and then doing the hard work of of, of applying it in your life every day in every moment. God's will for you is not about you making all your, your best decisions for you. It's about his plans. It's his work. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good decision. No, it says for every good work. Our lives, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's what he becomes. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Your life becomes his. So it's not about your plans. It's not about your desires. It's about his plans and his desires. And his plans and his desires are for the right now. That's where he wants us to focus. He wants to focus on obedience, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. He desires that we worship him, that we proclaim the excellencies as we read in 2 Peter. I mean, 1 Peter. He he desires right now that you love one another just as he has loved you. He desires that you live a life that actually looks like someone who has their faith and follows God. 1 Peter says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now notice, none of these statements look anything like the usual questions that you normally ask or I normally ask about God's will. Once again, and I can't say it enough, because God is concerned with us discovering his ways right in the here and now. We need to stop looking for what he has kept secret and start looking for what he has revealed. And when it comes to the will of God, I believe the goal should not to be know the future, as if that we think that's a good thing, but to know his ways, to carry out his ways in every moment, every conversation, in every relationship to the best of our ability and trust him with tomorrow. So how does this play out? A few ways. I've been a pastor for a long time, 20 years, I think. And sometimes I'll come to people and... and um, 
you know, and they'll say, well, you know, I want to go to another church. And this happens at every church I'm at. And hopefully I'm not the thread since it happens at every church I'm at. But no, I talk to other pastors. It happens to them too, so it's not just me. Now, if you're unhappy with the church that you're at, whether this is your church or a different one, what I, offer, what I would say, well, God, you know, help me to find another church. Instead of doing that, what if you went to the scriptures and you start saying, okay, am I following his ways in my church? Am I serving in ministry using my gifts, as we read in Peter, to benefit others around me? Well, as we read in Ecclesiastes and in, in, uh, in, in Ephesians, am I getting to know other brothers and sisters in Christ and like sharing my life with them and them sharing their lives with me? As we read in Corinthians, am I giving a percentage of my income that I've prayed about to support, to keep the lights and the heat on? Like, am I doing the things that God tells me to do to be a part of a church? Or, you know, let's say you're in a marriage and you're sitting there and that, that, that thought comes in because the marriage ain't going so good. And you're like, man, and you're, 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 you're like, oh, I wonder if I should get a divorce. Well, what if instead of thinking along those lines, what if you stopped and said, okay, wait, am I walking in God's ways in my marriage? Right? Am I honoring my husband? Am I sacrificing for my wife? Am I walking in his ways? When it comes to the will of God, I think the problem is not God's unwillingness to speak to us. It's our unwillingness to follow through with what he's revealed because it takes hard work. It makes us look hard in the mirror. I was talking to a teenager a couple weeks ago, and they were complaining about their parents. They were really upset with their parents. And so I, I said to them, I said, okay, I get that. Are you walking in God's ways with your parents? Are you honoring them? Are you being obedient to them? And they gave me that long look like, no, but I don't want to say no, Right? And so what happens if you started walking in God's word in, with, in relationship with your parents? I wonder how things might change. I haven't followed up with them yet. When we become obedient to the known will of God, that's what's going to pave the way to the unknown will of God. Obedience. Maybe you're unhappy in your job. I don't know what all of you do for a living, but I, just based on humanity, I'm sure there are some in here you are not liking your job. Not liking your boss. You pray for them on a regular basis. God's judgment, right? Lord, show them. And so maybe you're asking God, Lord, is it, is it, is it your will? I, I, help me to find another job. Or maybe you just tell him, Lord, you need to find me another job. Get me out of here. But what if you stopped to think about why you're unhappy in your job? And why you're praying and say, God, man, show me, is my heart in the right place? And that's a good way to know that if you really want to know God's ways, you'll be asking that question. God, show me if my heart's in the right place. You'll be opening up your words. And what if you realize 
that you're really not walking in his ways in your job. Maybe you're really full of pride, you're right? You're not very humble. Maybe you're more concerned with self-advancement than you are with being a servant in your job. Like maybe you're more selfish than you are generous. Maybe you're a little lazy cutting some corners than you are a diligent worker. Maybe you're kind of busy serving your desires instead of the company that you work for. Maybe you're not praying for your boss at all. You're not praying for your coworkers. You're not praying to be excellent for him. Now, what if you realize these things, you confess these sins to the Lord, and then you start reading some scripture about how you should work? Right? And then you start memorizing some scriptures so you, when you go to work, you have them tooled up and ready to go. What if you come to other brothers and sisters in Christ and you said, look, this is where I'm slacking at my job, where I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you encourage me? And I wonder if you went through these things, if you would find your job turning around and you would no longer find yourself asking God for his will because now you realize you're walking in his ways and it's changed your perspective. Now, this doesn't mean that God does not move us from job to job, place to place, but there's a difference between us, God moving us from something, God moving us to something, a next step, and us trying to get away from something. Now, what we like to do is always say, God, God's showing me this. God's revealing. He's moving. We love to use God as a crutch for when we're not walking in his ways. Love to do it. I just don't feel God pressing that on. All of this, oh, I could tell you how many times. I've used it myself. Once again, that's where scripture reveals a person who really wants to know God is ways and man, am I lining up? And this principle goes for your marriage, it goes for your children, it goes for your retirement, it goes for your church, it goes for every single area of your life. If you want to discover his will, you need to start walking in his ways. And I know for like sometimes, like you're like, it's a big book, I have nowhere to look. That's what Google's for. As Tim says, Google's not the enemy, it's a tool. And sometimes it's a great first step for you finding scriptures that speak to your life. You just got to be willing to do it. Some people, when I preach messages like this, they tune me out halfway through because they've heard it a thousand times, but they never took the one time to actually follow through and start applying it to their lives to see how God works. So the next time you start thinking about, man, God, what is your will for my life? I want you to start with that, responding to that question with this question, am I walking in his ways? And if you are, if scripture lines it up and people can testify to it, then praise God, say, whew, God, so thank you that you led me and I followed you in this one. And if you're not, then repent. Don't beat yourself up. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to convict you, but not beat you up, not condemn you. You say, God, thanks for showing me. Thank you for showing me where I'm not walking your ways. And I pray you give me the strength to do it. And this is why it's important to be at church. Like, this is why church should not be optional. This is why church should not be like something you do if you didn't stay up too late on a Saturday night. It's because when you come here, you have the opportunity to see his ways from somebody who's not looking through your subjective eyes. For us to challenge our hearts, because we know in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is deceitful above everything. We can deceive ourselves into believing anything. This is why we have the Bible study, so we can listen and talk to other people 
Like I said, because we're not meant to walk alone. And this is why we read our Bible. This is why we've been doing the, we started on the 16th doing, or 15th doing the New Testament together, right? In the Bible app. In one week, I wrote down the things that I got. And this was either stuff that I pulled out or stuff that somebody else had commented in there and, and did because uh, you have an opportunity to comment and it's cool what some people said. And this very week, here's some of his ways that I was learned. One week, that he sacrificed to come help me and in return, I should sacrifice to help others. That's one of his ways. That when I repent of my sin, it's not just words. It means actually doing things differently in my life that I'm called to be someone who is humble, that I'm not supposed to hide my faith. I need to let it shine. Even pastors are tempted to hide their faith at times. Not to be someone who acts out of anger. To, when I say yes, to keep my word. To make sure that the things I allow my eyes to see are pure. And to love my enemies. All of these things this week I have learned by reading his his New Testament for one week. They've all been in our mind. Now imagine I had I not done these. These are all of his will for my life that it would have passed me by. This is God's will for you, to walk in his ways. In fact, I encourage you, if you are not in this, it's the YouVersion Bible app, okay? You literally, there's a picture on the front of your announcements and you join the church and you see, it takes you right to the church, or if it doesn't work, you just type in Echo Lake Church, you join it. I will see that you join it. I will friend you. I'll send you a pastoral friend request, and you'll say, yes, I hope, and then I'll invite you. And it doesn't matter that you're starting six days late because it's only really five days a week. I haven't, it could literally not be any easier. You can just make it up as we go. And I've only made it the New Testament for one reason, because I want us to take the time to read it and to pray over it and I say, Lord, show me how to live this out in my life and, and, and how to apply it and what can I memorize out of it. And so I encourage you, get in there. Some of you have invites out there and they're still outstanding. Accept it. Walk with us so that we may learn his ways together. You do this. You have the heart to say, God, show me your ways. You have the work to put in to read them to rely on his strength to follow him, I promise you, you will always be in his will. But it is the moral will of God, so it means we have a choice. May we all have the strength and awareness of our own sin and our need for him to make the right choice to more than ever in our lives start pursuing his ways. Amen, church? And I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to see God's will be revealed in your life. In your life.